you have your Bible, turn with me back to the book of Revelation. We're probably going to take a, sh- a one-week break next week because um, of Easter Sunday. It'll most likely be a resurrection message, as it should be. Although we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday, this is the Lord's Day, so-called, because He rose on a Sunday. But uh, we'll probably take a break from the book of Revelation. If you're here this morning as a guest, we want to thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. I know Sammy has a support system, a support team there, family and friends, and we're grateful that you're here with us. Um, but if you're another guest, I want, I want to give you a little bit of assurance that if, you, if you're thinking, if you're looking for a church home, you do not have to worry about me standing up here singing every Sunday morning, all right? Uh, I'm here by default this morning because the rest of the praise team's on spring break or or uh, some other things going on, but anyway, you don't have to hear me sing every Sunday. We've got a lot better praise team than me leading, and um, Ryan's a part of it sometimes. She ought to be a part of it all the time, but um, we're, I'm grateful for her and Christy this morning. I say this about my mama when she sings with me and Daddy. Um, they make, they make, mama makes me and Daddy sound better than we are, for sure. Um, she kind of blends in there and fills in the gaps, and I'm not sure if it's possible to make me sound better, but I'm sure these two ladies this morning um, helped, helped me somewhat, so um, don't worry about it. Next week, our praise team will be back in force, and this, the, this building will likely be filled to capacity next week as we celebrate the resurrection. Um, I'm going to do like I did last week and kind of preach the text as I read it, but when you talk about the book of Revelation, the first thing we always think about is future. Um, the, the word revelation is the second word in the book, and it is it clearly states that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so you look up the word revelation in a Strong's Concordance, and it is the same word that we get apocalypse from. Now, we think apocalypse, we think destruction. We think, we think about what we're seeing out in the Midwest right now, what we see when there's a, a war going on, what... Um, what we see when there's some kind of natural disaster. We, when we say the word apocalyptic, um, we always think destruction. Um, that's not really what the word means. Although there's a whole lot of, of, of destruction in the book of Revelation, um, the book of Revelation is the unveiling. That's what apocalypse means. It is the unveiling. It is the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. It literally means to, to bring Him into a clearer view. So although there's a lot of future prophecy and a lot of destructive stuff in the book of Revelation, ultimately the whole book is about Jesus. Um, ultimately the book, though, as it unveils him, it's not unveiling him as he was. I mean, we, we, we reflect a lot about the life of Jesus as he walked and talked and, 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 and lived and died and rose again for us. That's as he was. Um, you can find that story, especially in the Gospels, but all through the epistles. You get some glimpses of Revelation in other places, um, but this is the full unveiling. This is the making manifest of Him. This is um, taking that that was hidden, the mystery that was hidden, and revealing it in all of its glory for us. So this is not, Revelation is not about the Jesus that was. Revelation is about the Jesus as He is and as He will be um, during the tribulation and throughout all eternity. Um, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, um, John talked about, before he introduced that letter, he wrote the book of Revelation 2, and honestly, he probably wrote these two books almost simultaneously. He wrote them probably around um, A.D. 90, 
Um, I think he died somewhere before AD, or AD 100, but most people believe somewhere between AD 90 and AD 95, all of his epistles and the Revelation were written by the Apostle John. This is how he began his first epistle. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. So that's John talking about the Jesus that he knew. That's John talking about the Jesus that he had heard, seen, and touched. That's John talking about the Jesus that he saw resurrected um, from the grave after having been crucified. That's the Jesus that he saw ascended into heaven um, that is now reigning. Revelation is giving us a view of that Jesus as he rules and reigns from heaven above. And it's, not, it's nothing like he has ever seen um, that he's about to tell us about. Now, I will, I will take you back to one moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, the Bible says that Jesus was, was transfigured, that he, that he got the glory back that he had when he was with the Father in front of James and John and Peter. And they were immediately awestruck by it and wanted to build three altars there um, for Jesus and for Moses and Elijah that appeared and talked with him there. Um, but even that glory, that was a glorious occasion, and I think it was life-changing for those three. Even that did not compare with what John is about to see. It is a glory far beyond that Mount of Transfiguration experience. So let's pick it up and begin reading in verse 9. John writes, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Christ. He's talking about the sufferings that he's enduring and the perseverance that he has to have in the kingdom in, in the midst of those sufferings. I was in the isle that is called Patmos. He was, that was a prisoner island. It was, a, it was an ancient Alcatraz, you might say. He was exiled there because of the word of God and because of the testimony of Jesus Christ that he proclaimed. Verse 10 says that I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I want to just pause right there. Um, the position of John in spirit. I want us to talk about that for just a minute. The position of John in spirit. Or if you want to use the, the words of the scripture, the position of John in the spirit. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, I think there's something to be said about the spirit of John and the Spirit of God in this, but I want to just focus on that phrase of the position of John in the Spirit. Who was the Apostle John? He was part of the inner circle. He was part of the three that went beyond with Jesus. When the, rest of the, when it, when the disciples were taken to the garden, um, nine of them stopped short. Three of them Jesus took a little further. When Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was the inner circle of disciples. The Apostle John was the one, the Bible says, that leaned his head on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. He literally leaned his head on his shoulder, and he often referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Not that he loved John more than all the rest, but John recognized the love that God had shown him in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was part of the inner circle. At the time that he wrote this, he was the last living apostle. All the others had been martyred for their faith. All of them had been uh, either crucified or stoned or sawn asunder or beheaded. All the apostles, including the apostle Paul, were dead. As, as the last living apostle and part of the inner circle, John was revered among Christendom. Christians looked up to John. They looked at him as the last one. 
that had the physical sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had, that had seen him with his eyes. That had heard him with his ears. That had touched him with his hands. And, 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 and in that position as the last living disciple, he was not only revered by the church, but he was the last one of those living that the, that the enemies of Christ intended to silence. So he was being persecuted intensely, exiled, set apart from the rest of, uh, the rest of civilization in an effort to quench and to stop his ministry. But I want to say this about him, just from this little text, um, that the position of John, I think the thing that got him in the spirit, the thing that got him in the place where God could reveal himself to him was that he was still walking in humility and in obedience to God. Now you got to look at this. The Bible said that he referred to himself to those that he was writing to as a brother and a companion in tribulation. He didn't elevate himself. He didn't lift himself up. He didn't exalt himself. He acknowledged who he was, that he was a brother to the saints and a companion in their suffering. He didn't set himself above and beyond them, um, but he made it known that he was suffering because he refused to walk in anything but the truth. He refused to proclaim anything except the truth. And he was suffering and on that Isle of Patmos, separated from the rest of society, worshiping on the Lord's day, still setting apart that one day in seven uh, to focus his heart and his mind upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He was humble in obedience. And I want to just say this, I'm going to move on. If you want to experience God, if you want to experience the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to be in the Spirit, if you want to hear Him, if you want to see Him, if you want to experience His manifested presence in your life, it may not be on the same level that John saw Him and heard Him and experienced Him that day, but I'm going to tell you, Jesus is still alive. He's still real. He's still with us. And if you want to get to where John got in the Spirit so that Christ can communicate to you, you need to walk in humility always before him doing what he has given to us to do if you are humble and obedient the bible said you'll eat the fat of the land you'll experience the abundant life you'll have the presence of jesus manifested to you every day of your life that is the position of john in spirit let's continue reading in verse 10 uh, he was in the spirit of the lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And verse 12 says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Stop right there again. The proclamation of Christ in sound. When you live in the Spirit, when you're walking in the Spirit of God, when, 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 when you get like John got in position, humble and obedient, and the Spirit of God moves upon you, you can begin to hear the voice of the Son of God loud and clear. Now, He speaks to us from His Word every day. Um, but not, you know this as well as I do. There's sometimes when I have read the book that I've gotten very little out of it. Amen? 
I mean, sometimes you open the Bible and you don't understand it. You ain't getting anything out of it. You try to read it. don't make any sense to you. And, and, and a lot of the time, the reason that it does that is because we came at it at the wrong time and the wrong place and the wrong spirit in ourselves. Uh, but when the Holy Spirit of God is moving in our life, when we are humble and obedient and sincerely seeking God's face and, and sincerely seeking God's will for our life, um, we will hear the voice of the Son of God as He speaks to us from the Scriptures and also as He speaks to us by the power of the Holy Spirit um, that lives within us. John said he heard the proclamation of the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ in sound and he heard it loudly and clearly. The Bible says that it was as the voice of a trumpet. If you look at the 15th verse, he said it was like the sound of many waters. What I think what he means by that is it was a voice that was overpowering. It was a voice that he heard above all other voices. It was a voice that he heard above all other Sounds. How many of you know we got a lot of sounds coming at us in this world? There's a lot of people and a lot of things that are trying to speak into our lives. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of things that are not of God that are constantly pouring themselves into us. Um, I, I, I'm going to be honest. One of the things that I love the most about hunting is that I disconnect. I get to just get away from the sounds of this world. And listen to the sounds of nature. Listen to even the sounds of silence. I, um, people, I, I don't know a lot of the new songs because honestly, I don't listen to a lot of music. And I'm just being honest with you. My favorite thing to do when I get in my truck is turn off the radio. Uh, and I'm telling you, in those times when you humble yourself in the presence of God and sincerely desire to speak, uh, to, to know and to do His will, his voice will begin to overpower the other voices that are present in our life. We'll hear him. Um, Lord willing, if we get away from here later this evening, we're taking my mom and dad to the mountains this week as, a, as, a, um, as our Christmas gift to them. We rented a big house up there that my siblings and I can take mom and dad. No grandkids invited. No great-grandkids invited. It's just us. But we're going to go at some point, I'm sure, and sit beside one of those streams. Find us a waterfall if we can. And we're going to listen to the sound of that water. How soothing that is. How comforting that is. It's hard to talk in those, in those places because that's all that you hear is the sound of those waters. You have to yell at each other if you want to hear any words. John said that he turned when he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day that he heard a voice that sounded like a trumpet. That it was like the sound of many waters. That it was loud and clear. That it overpowered all the other sounds that were around him. I think it was a voice that demanded his attention. Because it was a voice of authority. It was a voice that, 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 that was calling him and commanding him to allegiance again and again and again. From eternity past to eternity future. And I want to tell you that saints and sinners alike need to hear the voice of the Son of God on a daily basis. And we need to hear that voice loud and clear. We need to hear that voice above all the deception that's in the world. We need to hear that voice above all the distractions that are in the world. We need to hear that voice like the sound of many waters and like the sound of a trumpet over all of the worldliness that is in the world. And let it turn us 
That sound turned John. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of times in our life that we need a turning that goes on. And that turning nine times out of ten, if not 99.9% of a hundred, that voice that we hear that turns us away from deception, that turns us away from distraction, that turns us away from worldliness, that turns us back to heaven, a heavenly focus, is the voice of the Son of God like a trumpet shouting that it's time for us to turn our face, our heart, and our attention to Him so that we might yield to him again in his authority and be allegiant to him again in our lives. He turned to, pick it up in verse 12 in the middle, and the Bible says, and being turned. Now, I can, I'm going to come back one day and just preach a message on verse 12. He said he turned and being turned. There's a, there's a word called repentance in the Bible. And that's all that word means is that when you hear what he says, you turn. And being turned, he can continue his revelation to you. Now, I ain't going to stay here very long, but I, I want you to understand. If you want to know what the will of God is for your life, you've got to hear his voice and respond to that voice before you're going to know what the will of God is for your life. You've got to be turned. John said, I, I heard the voice. Now, how many times have we heard voices and not turned to face those voices? Um, my wife could give testimony to the number of times she's called my name or or, or, I, or I have heard her voice, and my response to that has not been a turning. Nine times out of ten, my response to that would be, huh? <laughs> um, I don't hear her voice very well. Um, and and here's, what happened, here's what has to happen. If I want to really hear what my wife is saying to me, she'll, she'll testify this in the car. She was talking yesterday. Her Jeep's a little bit loud. I don't like Jeeps. I'm going to be honest with you. They ride rough, and they've got a lot of noise inside of them. And she's on this side, which is my deaf ear. So when she's over there talking to me, and she was in some serious conversation. I could tell it was serious but because she was, she was, I could see that her eyes were, she, she was telling me something that was important. But all I heard over there was, mm, 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 mm. and I'm like, you know, I probably ought to listen to this one. And guess what I did? I turned. And then I said, huh? So she repeated that to me again so that then I knew exactly what she was talking about. Now, I, I told you I ain't going to stay here long, and I'm not, but there are times in a church service, it may be in the singing of a song. I understand this when I preach, that you take home very little of what I say. And I get that. I learned that a long time ago, that sometimes it's a word or a phrase. That's all that you heard. Now, y'all know I'm telling you the truth. I'm the same way. I can sit through a conference with ten speakers, ten preachers, all eloquent, all gifted, all men of God, but I'm going to tell you something. The, the word that I need is the voice that is the word that I hear. Now, then I have a, then I have a responsibility. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. When I hear the voice of the Son of God, it is my responsibility to turn to that voice. And being turned, God will continue his revelation to us. He will continue to reveal his plan. He will, he will continue to reveal himself. But if we're not willing to turn, we'll never hear what he said. We'll never be able to do what he said because we're not hearing what he said. Let me move on. I didn't mean to spend that long there. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, 
one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps, that's girt about the chest, with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. John heard him in spirit. John was in the spirit. He heard the voice. He turned to it. And he saw the presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ in sight. And, and, and I can only describe it like this. It was both glorious and fearful. Now, here's what I want you to understand. John saw the Jesus that is. And was left awestruck. There's a mentality in the world today that has relegated Jesus to a homeboy. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you that when Jesus walked and talked upon this earth, he did so in, in the form of a man. And he still bears the, 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 the shape, the appearance of a man, but so much more glorious than a man. Jesus, the Bible says, in all points became like us. In all points to be tempted like us. Um, Hebrew says that, it, that, that, that in order to make the captain of our salvation perfect, he allowed him to endure suffering like we did. But the Jesus that was, it's the same Jesus, but he has reclaimed his glory. The glory that, the, he said this himself, the glory that I had with the Father before the world began is Jesus again. It's Jesus as he was in eternity past and as he will be in eternity future. And what John saw staggered him to the point that he felt, listen, this is the man that walked and talked with Jesus. This is the man that saw him transfigured. This is the man um, of all the other apostles that there is, a, there is a, a verse that says that John was there with his mother at the cross of Jesus. Apparently of all the apostles that ran, John came back. This is the apostle that leaned his head on Jesus' breast at the dinner table that night, at the Last Supper. This is the apostle that the Bible said, um, uh, that he, had, he said about himself, I've seen him, I've heard him, I've handled him, I know the word of life. He's the apostle that saw him ascended into heaven. He's the last living apostle. He's the one that referred to himself often as the disciple that Jesus loved. But you understand this, when he saw him as he is, it was more glorious than he ever could imagine. And it caused him to fall at his feet as if he were dead. An awe-inspiring view of Jesus that left him laying at his feet. I think there's probably a lot of symbolism in that appearance. Maybe not, but I believe the Bible barely, very rarely ever gives us any information that's not there for a reason. Maybe never. 
And so I just want to run through that description of him very quickly, and I'm going to give you some sanctified speculation about the way that Jesus appears to John and what it may mean. The Bible says that he was clothed in a long robe with a golden girdle about his chest. If you look into scriptures in the Old Testament, that is a sign of both a priest and a king. And Jesus is ruling and reigning now in heaven as a king and a priest. The Bible says that his hair was as white as snow. You could go to the book of, of Proverbs and find a lot of this. That not only speaks of his antiquity, you know, the, the, the hoary head is a crown of glory, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. Hair as white as, uh, like wool, as white as snow. It speaks of antiquity. It speaks of the, 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 the Bible talks about the, the white head being a symbol of wisdom and white also always being a symbol of righteousness. The Bible said his eyes were blazing fire. Um, how many of you ever had your wife, men, look at you with eyes like blazing fire? What does it mean? Piercing, illuminating, making manifest. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like brass. When you, when you get it, if you would look it up, there's a picture of the temple where the sacrifices were made before you went into the holy place and only one ever went into the holiest of holies. There was a brazen altar that was lifted up there. Um, that's where the animal sacrifices were made. It was a bronze altar. It was, the, it was literally at the feet of the temple. Before you ever walked into that holy place, you had to make a sacrifice for sin there. Jesus' feet, I believe, are representative of that brazen altar. I think every part of the temple, one day we're going to do a study in it when I think I'm proficient enough to explain it to you, but I believe every piece of furniture in that temple was a picture of who Jesus was and of what Jesus did. And beginning at his feet was that altar of sacrifice where the animals were slain and where the animals were burned, that brazen altar in the, in the temple where sin was judged. The Bible said that he had a handful of seven stars. There's another passage of scripture that we'll read in a minute that says that those stars were the angels of the seven churches. He held them in his right hand, meaning that he had authority over them. Those seven angels of the seven churches were those that had the message. They were those who were charged with delivering the message to those churches. And Jesus held them in his right hand. A right hand is the hand of authority. The Bible says that his mouth was a double-edged sword. I don't think we have to speculate about that. It comes back again at the end of the book. With the word of his mouth, he'll slay the nations. With the word of his mouth, he is saving the nations right now. With the word of his mouth, he's saving all that come to him by faith. Um, by the word of his mouth, he divides us um, spirit and soul. Um, he lays bare our heart. He sees us as we is. He makes everything manifest. It's already manifest to him. He makes it manifest to us. That is the sword of his mouth, which the Bible says um, is the word of God, the true word of God. And then he closed by saying that he has a, his face shone like the sun shineth in its strength, overpowering and awe-inspiring glory. This is Jesus now. This is not baby Jesus. This is not beaten and battered Jesus. This is Jesus that is beautiful. This is Jesus that is boundless. This is Jesus that is the tower of glory, of grace, of justice, and of judgment. This is Jesus as he now is. And John fell on his face before him. But look at the end of verse 17. And he laid his right hand upon me. Again, that's that hand of authority. 
He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And now he has the right hand of his own authority that God has given to him, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Now I could preach next Sunday's message from that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Amen. Y'all ever heard a preacher say amen to his own sermon? We got to when y'all want. Jesus said amen to his own message. I'm the one who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I never have to die again. I did what I did once and for all time and for all people. And when it was done, I said it's finished because I won't ever have to do this again. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels, the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now I'm not going to say a whole lot about verse 19 or verse 20 because the next seven weeks where we start looking through the churches and what he said to the churches, that is the time that we're living in now, the church age. I think it's very relevant for today. That's not doesn't have anything to do with the future. That's right now. He wrote it to seven churches, but it exists for right now. But we're going to dig into that as deep as we can dig into it and see what he says to the church. But... But this is Jesus presenting himself. This is the presence of Christ to the saints. Let me walk you back through it. John got where he needed to be. He was in the right place in himself. He was humble and obedient in the Spirit. So that he heard the voice of the Son of God loud and clear. When he turned to face that voice, he saw him in all of his glory, awestruck. Not fearful in the sense of being terrified of him, but reverent of him. He fell on his face before him as if dead. And then Christ reveals himself, the presence of Christ, revealing himself to his saints is in those next few verses. And, and, and this is, I'm going to summarize it just like this. This is what the Lord wants you to know when you hear him and when you see him as he is. I'm with you. And I'm for you. I'm with you. And I'm for you. John's got a job to do. He, he's got a job that Jesus had reserved for him. In fact, I think the Apostle Paul saw a lot of this same stuff when he was called up into heaven. But he said it was, God didn't give me permission to share with you what I saw. All, all the Apostle Paul recorded is, Your eye has never seen. Your ear has never heard. And your heart has never imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's all Paul saw. That's all he was permitted to tell. That job was given to the apostle John. When John turned and saw that sight and fell on his face as if dead, the presence of Jesus overwhelmed him. And, and what he said to him, I believe, brought him comfort. That John, I'm not done with you. 
but I am both with you and for you. Now, you know, the last thing, one of the last things he says to the church in Matthew chapter 28, when he gave us that commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe everything that he's commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, one of the last things he said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's with us and he's for us. To, to, to the saints of God, he is in the midst of the church. Look at verse 13. The Bible says that he saw him in the midst of the candlesticks. What does that mean? We don't go anywhere. We don't do anything that Christ is not in the midst of us. When we're doing it for his glory, when we're doing it by his command, he is with us. He is in the midst of us. When he gives us a job to do, when he sends us a message to proclaim, he is holding us in the right hand of his authority. Um, I had a gentleman tell me a few weeks ago who just communicated to me, and I don't remember what sermon it was, and I didn't get lifted up and exalted about it because I don't have any reason to be lifted up and exalted about it. But he said this, I hope to one day be able to speak with the authority that you speak with. Can I tell you that it ain't my authority that I speak with? It ain't mine. He holds me in his right hand. The only authority that I have is the authority that he gives me. And the only authority that he gives me is to say, Thus saith the Lord. It ain't my word, it's his word. And, and, and I proclaim it with authority, not because I'm something special. Not because, not because I'm the only one that he hold in, holds in his hands. Not because I'm the only one that he's ever called uh, and equipped for the work of the ministry. In fact, I believe this about every child of God. The Bible says that we are all his ambassadors. And that means we are all his messengers. That means that with our life and with our lips, we're to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ to the nations of this world. And he is with us and for us. He is in the midst of his church and he is holding and every messenger of the truth in his right hand giving you the authority to say and to do what he has called you to say and to do. And he speaks this to us. Fear not. Listen, I ain't got a clue what tomorrow holds. I've read all, I think there are bad days coming. I know that God's doing some good things in the world right now, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the revival that I see happening in different places. But while revival is breaking out in some places, it seems like we are trying harder and harder to get further and further away from God as a culture and as a world. Y'all seen that the Bible, I mean, not the Bible, the news media is talking about how the dollar, will. It, it, a lot of countries are abandoning the dollar. That, that's, it's no longer going to be the the currency that the world looks at. Um, they're, they're, listen, they're trying. They're, the world and the enemy is doing their level best to destroy the sovereignty of the United States of America. And I'm here to tell you this morning, they may be successful. Now, I'm going to do everything I can to stop it. I intend to do everything in my power to preserve the liberty that God has blessed us with. But I'm going to tell you this, if this liberty is stripped away, I'm still going to serve Jesus. I'm still going to proclaim the word. And though I don't know what tomorrow holds, I know who holds tomorrow. And here's what he said to me, don't you be afraid. When, the, when, when Joshua was about to march into the promised land with armies bigger than they had ever seen, walls thicker than they had ever experienced, um, enemies that were without number, the, the, the thing that God said to Joshua over and over is, don't you be afraid, be of good courage. And here's what Jesus says to his church. It don't matter what world you're living in, whether it was the world where most of our nation 
proclaim to be a child of God and a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or whether it's a nation um, where there's just a small minority, a small remnant of us left, um, where we reach the place where we're like um, Daniel and those three Hebrew children and we got to walk through the fire. We got to go to the lion's den. I think he still says the same thing to us as he said to them and to his people from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. There's no reason for you to fear because I'm with you and I'm for you. And the Apostle Paul, who probably experienced more hardship than any of the other apostles, uh, he gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 an autobiography of his life. But when he wrote Romans chapter 8, he said, If God be for us, what does it matter who can be against us? That is the presence of Jesus among his saints. He says, I am alive forevermore. I'm with you. I'm always going to be with you. I have the keys of death and the grave. And that's what the word, when, when, when the King James Version uses the word hell there, it's the word Hades, which means the grave. It means the grave all through Scripture, the place of the departed dead, not the lake of fire hell, but the grave. And here's what Jesus said. You don't even have to fear death because I done conquered it. I, I, I died. I rose again. And I'm never going to die again. You don't have to fear because I've got the keys. If they kill you, i got the keys to the grave. If you lose your life for my sake in the Gospels, you'll find it because I've got the keys of death. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote, refused to speak of a Christian as having died. He said, those that sleep in Jesus. He went so far as to say... That, that to be absent from the body, which is what we call death, is to be present with the Lord. And he even went so far as to say, I have a desire to depart and go be with Christ, which is far better, but there is a need for me to be here. The presence of Christ to his saints is always going to be that he is with us and that he is for us. He knows what's ahead. He gives us all that we need to know to survive to thrive, to overcome, to conquer now and forever. Because he's with us. And he's for us. Let me close with this. Isaiah 57, 15. This is God speaking about himself. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite or the broken ones. Let me make this message a little bit more relevant to today. This is Palm Sunday. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. No man ever ridden him before. Jesus got on him and he humbled himself and rode Jesus into Jerusalem. They laid palm branches in front of him and held him as a son of David, which was a prophecy from Scripture. We sing a song called Hosanna, which means simply, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. He came in humility the first time to lay down his life on Calvary, to shed his blood.
for the remission of our sin. When he had accomplished that task, rose, was buried, rose from the grave, ascended back to heaven, and then John sees him again in all of his glory. But I can tell you one thing that he's still doing, that he did while he was here, that he's still doing from the throne of heaven above. He still invites the lost to be saved. He still says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He's still inviting the saints to come to him and find their peace and find their rest and find their strength and find their grace. He said you can come boldly before the throne of grace and find mercy to help you in all of your times of need. Now, he, he kind of hid his identity until that day. He, he gave glimpses of it. But this is the first day he's really just coming out in public and saying, I am the one that you've been looking for. He uh, willingly allowed himself to be announced, announced to everybody that was there as the fulfillment of prophecy. He did that on a Sunday. The next Sunday morning, he showed himself alive. He resurrected from the grave. He showed him his hands and his feet. He said, I'm not a spirit, I'm body. Go forward 49 days from that. He showed himself alive, or 40 days rather. He showed himself alive to, for 40 days, the Bible said, by many infallible proofs, Luke wrote. He ascended back to heaven. The disciples went back to Jerusalem to wait because he told them to wait there until they received the power they needed to do what he called them to do. Seven Sundays past Easter Sunday. The fire of the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. Jesus became very real and powerful in the lives of his apostles and the church was born. Now, I happen to believe he'll probably come back on a Sunday. Because it's his day. But this time he's not going to be riding the coat of a donkey. According to Revelation chapter 19, this time he'll be on a white horse. With his vesture dipped in blood. With a name written on his thigh. The faithful and true witness. The next time he comes back will be as he is right now. King of kings and Lord of lords. We read it last week. The earth's going to see him and wail because of him. Because he's coming back as a judge. The saints come with him. I don't have time to take you to all those scriptures. But we come with him when he comes back the second time. When he comes back, he's coming back to rule and reign on earth forevermore. Now, John saw him as he is. And I want you to know that you can know him right now as he is. Now, you need to believe that he was the baby. You need to believe that he was the battered and the broken man that hung on the middle cross between heaven and earth to be the only mediator between God and man. You need to know him as the man who ascended out of that grave in a physical body. But you also can know him as he is in all of his glory, in all of his splendor. If you do like John did, in humility and in obedience, bow at his feet in repentance and in faith, and he'll meet you right there.
He'll reveal himself to you in ways that you have never known him before. And he can do that over and over and over again. I can tell you as one that has tasted his presence and seen his presence and felt his presence over and over again. Every time he shows up and shows out for me, it draws me a little further in. It helps me see him a little clearer, hear him a little more audibly, respond to him more quickly. And he'll do the same for you that he's done for me. Today, if you need to be reborn, the truth is the same. He dwells in the high and holy place and with the one who is humble and contrite in his presence. If you come before the Lord Jesus Christ today in faith because of who he is or what he's done, you can be reborn. You can, if you have fallen away, if you have backslidden, if you have grown cold and indifferent, if you have not heard him or seen him or felt his presence in a long time, he can restore you today. If you're here as a Christian and you just, you're here as one who has been faithful, but maybe your zeal has just waned. Maybe you hadn't, maybe you hadn't experienced him afresh and anew in a long time. Um, he can revive you today. But, it, but, but the access to him is always going to be the same in humility and obedience, which is the byproduct of faith. In humility and obedience, if you will bow at his feet, he'll show you who he is. Fear not. I'm with you. I'm for you. From now unto eternity, Jesus will do for you what he did for John, what he's done for us. Let's stand together and sing. If you want to turn in your hymnal, it's page 257. <clears throat>